You know, when you were little, somebody came up to you and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you actually knew the answer to that question? That you had this sort of focus, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. Did you, did you know? I didn't know. Yeah? And did you actually accomplish that? Yes? Sometimes? No? They did a, uh, a bit of research recently and they asked uh, five to ten year olds that same question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you know what they said? Famous, that's number two in the list. Do you know what number one is? Hmm. What did you say? Rich. Do you know what they mean by rich? 22% of them said, I want to be rich. Do you know their definition of rich, a five to ten year old? Over one million pound a year income. I think that might just qualify. That was number one. Number three, it starts getting into different jobs. Do you know what number three was? The top job? Nope. Doctors number six? Not singer? Engine driver. (laughs) Actually, bus drivers down there at number eight. It's police officer is number three. Zookeeper number four. Fireman is number five. Doctor six. Vet seven. Bus driver and shopkeeper are equal number eight. And number ten, I don't want to work. (laughs) There you go. That was just this summer. What about in our spiritual lives? What do you want to be when you grow up? We've been looking at the Beatitudes together, haven't we? In Matthew's Gospel. And the Beatitude that we come to today, in Matthew uh, 5 verse 8, some have called it the kind of the, uh, the central or the most significant of all the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They say that because this is the one beatitude that that kind of underlies all the others. If you're pure in heart, you can be poor in spirit. If you're pure in heart, you can mourn over sin. If you're pure in heart, meekness is a byproduct. If you're pure in heart, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be merciful. You will be peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask again for your help to understand your word and for your spirit to apply it to each of our lives today. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. So what does that mean? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, purity is, well, it's like personal automatic, isn't it? Or bold, or whatever else you use in your... You get your clothes, they're on the floor, upstairs, somewhere. Or maybe I'm just talking about my habits. But they're there, you, you gather them up, or they're in the laundry basket. Why do you put them in the laundry machine? Oh, because they're dirty, they've got stains, they're a bit smelly. You've worn them 20 times and you think, it's about time I wash them. So you put them in there, and you put the liquid in, and what happens? Well, they become dazzlingly white, according to all the, uh, all the adverts. 
that these stains, and you've seen it on those adverts, haven't you, where there's these little bubbles go down and this little tablet goes in there and the bubbles suddenly lift up all the grease and the grime and everything else and your clothes come out whiter than when they, before they were even manufactured. That's how clean they become. And purity in the Bible is something similar. It means that we're cleansed from all the filth, the dirt, any contamination that comes into our lives. And so Jesus is saying, blessed, I'm going to pour my blessing into those that are clean, not those that are dirty. And that's why we come and at the start of our services we ask God to forgive us, cleanse us from everything that's wrong, everything that we've done, everything we haven't done, every time that we've not measured up to your standards, Lord, cleanse us, forgive us, make us clean again. It's like going into the washing machine of Christ, going in dirty, saying, Lord, I've got all these stains all over me. I'm completely messed up. I've been playing out in the dirt of life, in the mud piles of life. I need cleansing. I'm going to go in and I'm going to be cleaned on the inside from you. And I'm going to come out clean. But also purity is to do with our attitudes as well. It also means being unmixed or not having a double allegiance, having integrity. In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, verse 24, you'll know it well. He says, no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Heard about a member of a church with a young boy and they're driving home one night after church and he saw this beautiful field full of watermelon just ripe and juicy and he went oh fancy one of them so he pulled up on the side of the road and he said to his son you look up and down make sure nobody else is coming and I'm just going to go they won't miss one I'm just going to go in and take that one And the son said to the dad, Dad, you shouldn't be doing this. It's not right. He goes, don't worry, don't worry. You just keep a good lookout. I'm going to go in there. I'll be out there in no time at all. I'll just choose a nice Judy watermelon. We'll take it home. They they won't miss it. And the young boy said, but Dad, we don't just need to look left and to the right. Shouldn't we also be looking up as well? And having that integrity, that purity, means that we don't need to look up. Because we know that because we have a pure heart, that whatever we're doing is in accordance with what our Heavenly Father is looking at us. Today in in our culture, it's like if you can get away with it, if you can look to the left and the right and take the watermelon, it's okay. I know young people that, that used to try and go into, perhaps we did this when we were young, we used to go and watch the movies. And then you try and sneak out of one and sneak into another movie for the same price and then go to another one and spend the whole afternoon there skipping into the different movie theatres. Now they've got these sort of infrared TV screens and everything else, so you can't really do that. But why? Because they... And you'd ask them, you'd say, well, if you want to go see another one, you should pay for the second movie. No, 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 if I can get away with it, it's okay. It's so expensive anyway. And we justify why we do things. And yet when we look up, we know that in our hearts it's not right. 
Just because we can get away with it, we can't get away from God. And purity, Jesus says, is a mix of those two things. Being clean on the inside and outside. And that's why Jesus had to go so often at the Pharisees. Clean on the outside, but inside completely messed up. But also having that integrity of our allegiance, just having a single-mindedness towards God and the things of God. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. Now we think of our heart as the centre of our emotions, don't we? Oh, I love you from the bottom of my heart. But in, in their understanding, the heart was actually not just the emotions, but also the centre of the human mind and the will as well. The heart was the very place where everything was held together. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's saying, blessed are those who are pure throughout their whole body, their mind, their thoughts, their actions, their emotions, what they decide to do, what they don't decide to do, in the quietness of their rooms, when no one else is watching. I'm going to pour my blessing into those who are pure like that. They're going to see God. The question is, well how then, if this is so central, do we become pure like that? Unless you're already there, of course. But I don't think many of us are. How do we become pure in heart? Well, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Find all the T's in the New Testament, Hebrews straight afterwards. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, and then Hebrews. Hebrews 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of, right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The first thing we see here about how we can become pure in heart is that the first thing is we need to be inspired by everybody that's gone before. Therefore, it says, whenever you see a therefore, you have to go back. He's saying, because of everything I said before, therefore, this is the outworking. And what, what's Hebrews 11 all about? It's all about faith. And in Hebrews 11, you have that amazing chapter of people of faith. And so he's saying, think about all those people. Think about Noah in verse 7. Noah took 120 years to build a boat. If you think you're procrastinating, just compare yourself to Noah. You never have taken that long. 120 years. Now you imagine this guy building a boat over 120 years time saying, it's going to pour down guys. It's going to seriously rain and we need to change the way we're behaving here. God's going to send this massive flood. Can you imagine what people thought about Noah? Do you think they were there applauding him and saying, thank goodness Noah's building the boat. They'd be there ridiculing him. 
saying, did you really hear from God? Why, why aren't we all hearing the same message? Why aren't we all building our boats? And so you've got the inspiration of Noah who kept going because he heard from God and even though everybody was outside ridiculing him, even though it took him years and years and years to build, so painstakingly he kept on going. Or think about Abraham, verse 8. Here he is, successful, great businessman, Everything's going really, really well for him. And God says, leave it all behind. Go to a place I'm going to show you. Start all over again. And so he tells his family and he tells everybody, he says, I've got to go. And they're going, where are you going? I don't know where I'm going. But I heard the voice of God telling me to go. And I also said, you must be crazy. What are you doing? You're giving up a successful business. Look at all the, all the ways God has blessed you. Why would you leave all that behind? And go to somewhere you don't even know where you're going to and have to start all over again. How do you know when you're going to get there? And then even then, on the way, he had these amazing encounters with God. A son was born, an heir. You're going to be the father of many nations. And then God says, now offer him up. Go kill him on the mountain. And what we see in Abraham is someone, in the face of nonsense, he was still obedient to God. Because he trusted in the voice of God. Or think about Joseph, down in verse 22 of chapter 11. Here's Joseph who is equally as faithful in prison as he is when he's prime minister of Egypt. How many times could we say the same thing? Are you just as faithful to God when you're in trouble as when things are going really, really well? So often when we're in trouble, that's sometimes when things start going wrong. Or sometimes that's the times where we really cry out to God. Or conversely, sometimes when things are going really, really well for us, we say, thank you very much, Lord, thank you for getting me to this place, but I can handle it now. Because look, look what I've done. Look how, look how successful I've become. And then we mess up so quickly. But you've got Joseph, a man who was faithful to God and consistent. And you've got people like Moses and David and Samson and so the list goes on and on and on in chapter 11. All saying the same thing, all shouting encouragement to us. All saying, you know what it's like to follow God? And so we can look back at these people and many, many others since those times. People around us today, believers who inspire us. And say, you know what? These were ordinary people. They had their struggles. They had their weaknesses. And yet, if God could use them... If God could bless them and make them pure in heart so that they could see God, then why can't he do it in you and in me? The first thing he says in Hebrews 12, therefore, think back. Think back to all those examples of faith. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, think about all those people 
all those here on earth, all those in heaven that are rooting for you to be pure in spirit. Second thing he says is, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When you throw something, it's a choice, isn't it? When you throw off something, it's a choice. You don't see many joggers out there, do you? Jogging in in big raincoats and Wellington boots. Even when it's raining, you don't see joggers going along with an umbrella, do you? Saying, oh, I've got to do my jogging today, but I'm not going to get wet. And so they're out there jogging away. No, they go out there still in their shorts, in their t-shirts. It can be the middle of winter. Now, why do they do that? Well, partly because you're going to get hot. But secondly, because it's jolly hard running in Wellington boots. You ever tried it? You don't get very far. And it's pretty hard running in a big overcoat and and thermal underwear and everything else. You can't really run in all of that stuff, can you? And a whole load of wet stuff all over you and everything. It's difficult. You have to throw it off. You, you put on what you need for the job that you've got in hand. And Paul, or, uh, and Jesus, or, sorry, the writer to the Hebrews here, is saying the same thing. Throw off everything that hinders us. It's a choice. We have the choice to keep it or to throw it away. But we need to throw everything that hinders us. Everything that stops us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I think I may have told you before a couple, true story, this couple that bought a boat. They took the boat down to the marina, took it out. Nice and big motorboat. And it was really sluggish and they couldn't figure out what was going on. They couldn't get any speed out of the thing. Didn't seem to turn very well one way or the other. And they couldn't figure out what was going on and Eventually, they got so frustrated with this new purchase of theirs, this fantastic motorboat, that they pulled into a marina and they went up and asked an experienced guy, and they said, what's wrong with this boat? It hardly goes very fast, it's just pottering along. Can't turn very well, it's, it's rubbish. And they checked the boat out, they checked the motor out, and that seemed fine. Checked the propeller, they lifted it out of the water, and that seemed fine. They checked everything inside of the boat and everything was absolutely fine. Until somebody went over the side of the boat, checked underneath. And underneath, still attached, was the, the, uh, the container with which the boat came in. Like when it drove down to the, and they put it in, you know, the, uh, the ramp thing at the back. And they hadn't bothered to disconnect it from the trailer in which it had come. They just left the trailer underneath. And sometimes we go around like that in our Christian lives. On the outside, on the top, on the surface, we look absolutely fine. But we struggle, and we struggle, and we struggle. And it's because the sin in our lives is there, but it's underneath the surface. We make sure it stays there so no one else can see it. But we don't have the freedom that Christ wants to give us. Because we still have it attached. And we're still carrying it around with us everywhere we go. Others can't see it necessarily, but we know it's there. And it's like having that trailer stuck underneath the boat. We need to get rid of it, throw it off, disconnect it, so that we can fulfill the potential that God has for each one of us. 
That's why Jesus said, didn't he? Take up your cross every day and follow. Every day, make that choice. Today, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Today, Lord, forgive me. Today, Lord, help me to be pure in spirit. I'm making that choice every moment, every day. When you wake up in the morning, pray that. Say, Lord, today, today I want to follow you. Today, help me to be more pure in spirit. Show me if I've got a trailer underneath that I'm carting around. And Lord, help, help me to give it to you, to let go of that. Third thing he says here is run with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. He said it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And the trouble when you do a marathon, there's two things. One is that you go off too fast. Because at the beginning you feel really good. Everybody's there, you're all pumped up, ready to go. You've had your packet of jelly babies that every marathon runner has before they start off. Just to give you that sugar rush. And off you go. And the danger is that you go nice and quick, which is great for a while, but then you'll burn out. And you'll never finish the race. The second danger is that you hit the wall. That you haven't done enough preparation. And that when you hit that wall, and you know what it's like when you do something and you get tired. Everything in your head, everything in your body says, stop. You're crazy. What are you doing? Just stop. This is not right. And you know, not just in marathon running, but it, sometimes in life, isn't it? It comes to those moments where you're doing something and you just say, I can't, keep, I can't go on. I can't go on. Just leave me here. I can't go another step. And the danger is that we either do one of the two. I've seen so many believers that, that come to know Jesus Christ and then they sprint off in their Christian faith. They want to do everything. They want to be involved in everything that's going. Every different ministry in the church. Oh yeah, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. And what happens? They burn out really quickly. Because they don't pace themselves. I love the heart. But the sadness is that then they'll drop away from church because they, they just get worn out. Burnt out. Because they go too quickly, too headlong. And it's our responsibility as more mature believers to help them not to do that. Say, no, just focus on one or two things and do them well. There's plenty of time. Or sometimes we get to the wall and we give up. And again, we should be encouraging one another when we hit those moments where we go, you know what? I haven't got any strength left. It's then that our believers, our brothers and sisters, Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's then when we carry one another. That's the strength of the people of God. When somebody says to you, I've got no more strength to keep going, we put our arm around them and we say, come on, walk with me. Let's keep going together. Run with perseverance. And the last thing, Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
Lastly, you want to be pure in spirit? Look to Jesus. See what it says about him. First, he's our author. The author is the one who has provides the, the source, the inspiration, isn't it? The author of the book is the one who has all the ideas, all the thoughts, writes them down. It's where it flows from. Harry Potter, you know, the author, Rowling, she had all the ideas, all the thoughts were going through her head. She just wrote them all down, didn't she, and put them out there and everybody loved it. And Then she's become number one in the list because she must make over a million a year. But it's her source. And, And Jesus here is saying, look to Jesus because he's the source. He's the inspiration. He's the one that provides the creativity and the resources and everything else that we need. Look to him. Because everything is contained within him. He's the author, but he's also the perfecter. The perfecter, the finisher. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be there for you. He's the one that journeys with us, that continues with us throughout the ups and the downs of life. He's not just the one that starts it all off and just gives us a little pat and says, off you go. He says, you know what, I'm going to journey with you along each step, by the way, to help you finish just as well as you started. With just that same strength and that same, because I am the one that's going to perfect you when you stand before me and I welcome you home. He's also the one that's got it all sorted. Said he was the one that went to the cross. He's the one that we remember in the bread and the wine. He's the one that enabled us to gain victory over all the struggles. He's the one that enabled us to have a pure heart. We can't do it on our own. But we can do it because he is working in us and through us. That's the only way we can have that purity of heart. And that purity of spirit. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. What we celebrate in the bread and the wine. He is not only the one that sorted it all out at the beginning that will be there at the end. But he's the one that in the journey of life has given us the strength day by day. To have that kind of victory. And he's also the one who is our model to follow. God came to earth. Why? Partly to show us how to be pure in heart. How we can see God. When it says in verse 3, it says, Consider. Consider him who endured such opposition. Basically, it means compare and contrast. I used to hate those questions. Didn't you in college or in English? Compare and contrast. This blue cheese with the moon. What is all that about? That was one of the Oxbridge entrance examination questions. The moon is made of blue cheese. Anyways. But it means compare. Compare the life of Jesus Christ with your life. Think about Jesus as our example. Think about the way he responded in situations. Think about how he behaved, how he thought, how he acted. And contrast that with how you behave and how you act and how you think. He's saying, put him up against yourself, against him. Now, he's going to be up here and we're going to be down there. We know that. 
That's just humanity. Because he was God, and we're not. But we can still look and see, because we look to him, we can see where we are. Rather than comparing ourselves against one another, compare, it says, against the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that endured opposition. Are you finding opposition in your life? Think about how Jesus dealt with opposition. Are you struggling because other people are being sinful around you? Think about how Jesus dealt with it. You feel lonely? Think about how Jesus must have felt when his disciples never understood what he was talking about. And how alone Jesus must have felt sometimes. You struggling in relationships? Think about how Jesus struggled. And how it must have pained him when he knew what Judas was going to do. And how the other disciples let him down in the garden. And how they just didn't understand what he was all about. Even though he showed them over and over again. Compare yourself to Jesus. See how he dealt with things and how you're dealing with things. And and say, Lord, let me get those into line. Show me how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Four things it says in Hebrews. Think about those that have gone before. Because those people of faith are no different to you you and me. Except they had that purity of spirit. They just sought to follow follow God. Think too about the sin. Do you keep it underneath the surface or do you throw it off and say, Lord, I want to get rid of everything that hinders my relationship with you. I want nothing to get in the way of that relationship with you. That's number one in my life. I'm just going to throw it off. Show me what I'm carrying around with me and just let me throw it off. Let me get rid of it. Let me lay it at the foot of the cross. That's why you died. Are you running with perseverance? The race that's marked out for you? Because God has a plan for each one of us. His word tells us that. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But are you running that race with perseverance? Or when you get to a a barrier or you feel like you can't get on, are you reaching out to your brothers and sisters and saying, come on, please help me, journey with me. I'm struggling right now. Or are you quitting? And then look to him. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Because he is the source, the inspiration, the finisher. He is the one that gives us the energy day by day. And the example to follow. And what's the reward? The reward is that we will see God. We'll see him face to face when we meet him in eternity. And we'll see him now in that relationship. You can have an experience of Jesus Christ every moment of every day. That's what it means to see Jesus, to see God. To experience Him, to know His presence in your life, moment by moment. That's what's on offer if we have a purity of heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have promised us that we can see you. The whole of the Bible, the whole of Scripture talks about that. Just to know you, to see you, to experience you. 
That's our heart's desire. That's why we take up the cross every day and follow. That's why we say no to sin and yes to you. Grow within each one of us a purity of heart. That actually on the inside of us, Lord, it would be beautiful. So beautiful that it would reflect you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.